from the world of Sonic the Hedgehog, a new hero arrives. I am ready. Is there anyone stronger? No. Tougher? No. Funnier? I do not make jokes. I make warriors. Knuckles, now streaming only on Paramount Plus. Yes! Welcome to the Otzen Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prem, Eric Scopel, Jared Mack on the show. Fellas, Kyber Champagne. I've got champagne. I found it in my fridge. I'm drinking it. <laughs> 12 games in, 12 games done. We've made it through the regular season. Uh, Oregon 31-7 to over the Oregon State Beavers. Closes out shop for this game, for potentially this rivalry. Uh, and now Oregon heads to the postseason. Um, clinches a game in Vegas 31-7. to a game, Eric and I, when we were walking down the stadium, Jared had already gotten down onto the field, that we were talking, like, outside of about a five-minute stretch of game action, this never felt in doubt. And um, it, it's a game that the last four years, it's been close every single time, and that streak has now broken. Oregon was by far the better football team. In both trenches, we could we could either start with how good Oregon was offensively, or we could go to just how disruptive they were defensively. Um, as Dan Lanning put it, they are playing their best football at the very end of the regular season. Can I pick option C, which is to ask you, Matt, if we're getting buzzed, Matt, on the podcast here? Have you, have you- <laughs> I mean, we could. I mean, I've got like <laughs> I got about. A half of this left. We'll see how much I could drink of it. I'm not a big gotta champagne start, guy, but gotta start I didn't drink quick. any of it last night. Grab yeah, some OJ. I'll take a pull. Oh, there we go. Look oh, at this. Incredible. I've uh, somebody, Jared and I have both seen Buzz Matt a couple of times, and I've seen maybe more than Buzz Matt. This could be a fun show. Um, it's also <laughs> like it's also like midnight, so we're probably delirious anyway. Um, I guess let's start on defense, just because. A year ago, we were on a podcast right around now talking about how the defense couldn't stop a nosebleed. There was a lot of criticism. It was deserved. Oregon State ran for like 268 yards. It felt like all of them came in the last 25 minutes of the game. Um, That wasn't the case here. Oregon dominated the line of scrimmage on that side of the ball. 53 rush yards. They held Martinez under, I think he finished with what, 43 or 42? Um, 38. Mm -hmm. 38. That's just damn impressive, right? I mean, I was looking through, and we talked about this throughout the week here with Oregon State's run offense, and you go through it, third in the conference, averages close to 200 yards per game on the ground, hadn't been held below 131 all year, hadn't been held below about a four-yard per carry rush average um, once this whole season. Oregon clamped him down. Like, it was not a game where much of anything got going. Uh, Timmy Martinez is an absolute hoss. He's – not easy to bring down, but 13 rushes, 38 yards, less than three yards per yeah. carry. Like, sign you up every day of the week for that. And I thought this team came out kind of hungry. I think they should have been hungry. There's a lot of reasons to be. So much was on the line here. They weren't going to let a repeat of what happened last year happen um, once again. And, I, I I mean, we can talk about a lot of things. As Matt said, there's a lot of positives here. I think at the end of the pod, we can start talking about this team just reached a little bit of a different tier in terms of the history of this program and in an individual seasons and, and some of the kind of benchmarks that they might've reached, but just point blank, like a year ago, they got outplayed. They were more, the other team was more physical in this rivalry game. That was not the case tonight. And I'm sure for Dan and, and a lot of these guys who are part of last year's team, 
this was very, very satisfying because of the narratives that were able to come out of that game of the Ducks are all flash. They're not physical. They're not tough. The stuff we've heard Dan talk about in some of those cinematic recaps, a lot of those conversations started in part because of last year's game in Corvallis. You can't have the same conversations after today. They, they showed what they were and it was really, really impressive. It was There was absolutely no suspense in this game outside of uh, a, basically a drive right at the end of the first half. And even after that, we're going to answer with a big touchdown drive there with, with Bo hitting Troy for, I think, one of the more impressive throws we've seen from Bo since he's been here. Um, real, real quick for Jared Dyson, the 53 yards is the fewest or Oregon State has had in a game since 2019 against Washington in November. And it's mm-hmm. the lowest total that Oregon has allowed in this game against Oregon State since 2011 when they had just 16 yards. 16 yards. Wow. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's the lowest total that Oregon State has had this season, too, by a whole 78 yards, so three-quarters of a football field, um, or almost eight-tenths. That's pretty damn good, uh, and I certainly did not expect that. Um, I thought that Oregon's defense would certainly put up a fight and do well enough, but um, they were awesome today. And honestly, you could see it coming from the very beginning of, of the game, even though Oregon State had a few – play actions and some bootlegs and you know Dante Manning had a de- or Tyshim Johnson had a defensive pa- defensive pass interference there was a pass completed over the middle on Oregon State's first drive like Oregon was gaining a lot of ground on the defensive line and whether that was Brandon Dorless or whether it was Jordan Birch or you know Jeffrey Bossa coming from straight inside and right down the middle like they were they were getting a lot of pushback and when Oregon State eventually did decide to run the ball the, the pushback was still there. It's not like it was a pushback because it was a play action. It was a pushback because they were manhandling the offensive line. And it should be noted that Joshua Gray, Oregon State starting left tackle, did not play in this game. Uh, obviously, there was the injury earlier in the week to their starting left guard. So they had to completely replace their left side of the line. But it was more of a it was more of an more of an impressive performance just from Oregon's defensive front. Um, like I mentioned, Dorless and Birch, I thought had great days. It was really fun to watch Jordan Birch and Fuaga, Oregon State's right tackle, um, get into it. I thought that that was such a fun matchup to see. Uh, I, I do want to talk about that touchdown right before the half, the 41-yard throw from Knicks to Franklin, because that was the only moment of the game that fell close. You know, it was 14-7. to Camden Lewis had missed a 34-yard field goal, which maybe we get into later, maybe we don't. I think I don't know how much there is to say about it. You, you, whoever's listening or watching, probably knows what we think. But you know, Oregon State comes comes down. There's a couple penalties by Oregon's defense that we've seen in in, in games past this season, and all of a sudden it's 14 to seven, and it's like, well, we've got a game on our hands. It was very nearly 17 to nothing, or uh, worst case, 17 to nothing could have been 21 to nothing, but there was another penalty. Like now it's only a one score game instead of being a, a two score or even a three score game. But the the touchdown to Nick from Nick's to Franklin, I think took a lot of the wind out of the sails of the Oregon state sideline. Um, they had dealt with a lot of rumors before the game dealing with them currently dealt with them after and all that good stuff too. And that one just kind of felt incredibly deflating. Um, 41 yard touchdown. There was only, eight seconds left in the half, I believe, or six seconds, something like that. Just an absolute backbreaker. And from then on, it was just complete domination from Oregon. Um, we talked about it all week on the podcast of getting 
the Beavers into second and third and long, and that's what Oregon did today. And DJ Uyungle is not good enough to carry an entire team by himself, unfortunately, even though I love the kid, like I talked about. They were 3 of 11 on third down. They were 2 of 6 on fourth down. And a lot of those they needed to go for to even have a, have a chance in this game. And Oregon's pass defense, even despite no Jaleel Florence, um, really stepped up. Dante Manning had a good game. So did Kyrie Jackson. Um, just a great performance from an Oregon defense, even on a night where you know, Oregon's offense plays really, really, really well and only puts up 31, which is you know more than enough to win this game. But seven points is pretty good for the defense. Is it strange to feel like Oregon rolled up 480 of offense? They scored on their first two drives of the game. The first one, by the way, almost nine minutes. And they, yeah. I, I don't believe for a second the thing that Dan said, what Bo said, what Troy said, what Stephen Jones said of like, well, that's just how the way that the, the drive went. That's just how things, that's how the cookie crumbled. Like they had 10 run plays in that drive and basically all of them were like right up the gut we're gonna attack Oregon State right in the heart and just run the football they said it was just happenstance of how the game went I don't believe that for a second I think that was a drive I mean they tried to score they tried to hit big shots they they threw the ball downfield during the drive but I feel like that directly or indirectly was a tone setter for the rest of the game of, Hey, we're going to dominate the line of scrimmage on both sides of the football. And you're not going to be able to stop it. I think that drive eight minutes and 41 seconds, by the way, I believe that's the most time elapsed on a single scoring drive all season for Oregon. Um, I, I think it is. Yeah. I can't. And that's why I kind of believe what Dan and everybody else was saying, because they don't do that. It's so very rare that they go like over six minutes on a drive. But they did that you know, twice tonight. Intentional or not, it accomplished something pretty clear, though, which was it showed Oregon State what this game was going to be like. Because yeah. to Matt's point, it was run after run up the middle, a lot of success there. Um, you know, it, it felt like they wanted to show Oregon State that they were a little different this year. And again, I, I don't know what the intention was with Dan. I'll, I'll probably just take him at face value because – I don't know what else I'm supposed to do. I think Matt's probably onto something in terms of there might have been a little bit of desire to, to flex a little bit on the on the guys that last year flexed a lot about how they were more physical than you were. Regardless, this was this was a really strong offensive showing for the first three quarters. The last couple of drives of this game, not a lot went right. Didn't really matter. Oregon was up 24 points at that point. Um, Oregon State showed. I mean, just to go back briefly to the defense, their second half drive chart, turnover on downs, punt, interception, turnover on downs, turnover on downs. Um, I think like a total of what less than 200 yards gained in that half. I mean, it was Matt taking a big old swig right there of the champagne. <laughs> I, I, I just think it was, uh, I think on both sides of the ball, they zapped Oregon State's will. They did it in the first half on offense, I think, and in the second half, the defense really just put it away. And I, I think this was, as Dan said, after the game, another complete showing. Like there was really, aside from the thing Jared referenced earlier, and I don't I don't even know, do we need to talk about Camden Lewis? Everybody knows what's going on there. It, yeah. It's a mess. It's a problem. It's like the one thing I'm actually concerned about with this team going yeah. into 
Gotta make your field goals in the big games. You gotta make them. And that I don't even feel like talking about it at this point. It everybody knows how they feel and they should feel that way. But everything else was really, really good in this game. Like this was mm-hmm. a really, really good showing top to bottom. Um that the run game at times offensively kind of had uh, trouble, but we thought we talked about that coming in. This was gonna be a game where that might have been difficult with what Oregon State has up front. Right. Bo had, and we haven't really talked too much about him, but let's let's spend a little time here. Like, it's so strange to call it like a classic Bo Nix performance because this showing here statistically for just about every single Oregon quarterback over the last 20 years would be like their marquee game. 33 for 40, 367 yards, two touchdowns, had a rushing touchdown in a rivalry game to clinch a spot in the Pac-12 championship. Let that sink in. That is some seriously special stuff. And yet this stat line is like super similar to what he's done this entire month. Like, actually, statistically, this was worse than a couple of these games he's had. Yeah, right? He's been so crazy this whole month. It's been it's absurd. Just, it's absurd. And there's a reason why we'll see what Jaden Daniels does. Obviously, next Friday's game, we know the significance there for the Heisman race. But, like, Bo is really putting himself in a spot to win that award. And I thought he was spectacular. Some of the throws he made tonight, I know people have been nitpicking his – average depth of target and oh he's just throwing it underneath and all this crap i get it it's the narrative you want to push some of the throws he made were just outrageous especially some of these off the back foot rolling to his right throws i mean the one to franklin was was crazy but there was a throw on i think third down on maybe the first drive of the second half that he they had mm-hmm. or franklin on the on the or by, by the oregon sideline that was just nutty stuff. I mean, he's rolling out and, and doesn't even really get a chance to plant and just throws an absolute BB across his body almost over to Franklin. I mean, these are just – these are awesome wow throws, and he had several of them tonight. So I don't know if I can call this the best Bone Hicks performance of this season because there's so many to pick from. But Honestly, but like – You could. It's, you could, but I wouldn't. Right. <laughs> no, I wouldn't. He just threw for 400 yards and a half against Arizona State with six touchdowns. Like yeah, Exactly. I know that's against Arizona State. It's not as big right. of a game, but just sheer numbers. Like It's not, but damn, was it a good, another great performance. Um, I do have the updated monthly stats for Bo Nix, if you guys oh, would you, like yeah. to hear them. Perfect. I did, this, I did this after the Arizona State game because – it was crazy then. It's still crazy now. Uh, four games, or excuse me, five games. So I'm adding the, the Utah game in there. Five games, 1,816 passing yards, 18 total touchdowns, one interception. Uh, he's attempted 169 passes, nice, and completed 133 of them, 78.7 uh, completion percentage. It's good. By the way, the – the, the narrative, Eric, that you talk about his downfield throws, it's also false. Like, I went on PFF during the game because I had a bunch of that in my mentions on Twitter. And he's the fourth most accurate quarterback on downfield throws. Like, and his yard per – it's better than Michael Penix. Significantly better than Michael Penix. Uh, and his yard per average on downfield throws of 26 yards or more – that's what PFF considers a deep shot is significantly higher than, than Michael Penix is only, and it's is less than four yards lower than, than Jaden McDaniels. He, he doesn't attempt nearly as much. Uh, you know, Daniels has 51. I, I, Daniels has 51 attempts. Bo has 41. 
Um, Penix has 84 attempts, 26 <laughs> yards or more. So crazy. But crazy. he completes a higher percentage of them, and he has a better big play rate than than those guys. It It's a false narrative. He just doesn't need to take seven shots a game downfield, 26 yards. It, again, tip the cap. I, I I think he's playing himself into a position here where it's going to be really hard not to give him it, the, the Heisman. And, of course, next Friday is going to determine it. And Jaden Dan, Daniels might yeah. throw for 500 yards, and LSU might club Texas A&M tomorrow, and we'll have more conversations. But – he won't yeah. play on Saturday next Saturday, though. I was going to say he won't have a chance to improve his his standing after Saturday's game. That's going to be his last chance, and Bo will have a chance on a massive stage with everybody in the country watching because Oregon versus Washington is going to most likely be a play in game for the playoff. Like it's possible that a team gets le- you know that the winner get that gets left out in some sort of weird scenario where everything breaks wrong for Oregon. It's possible. Right. But the odds are pretty – I think the odds are better than probably 70 75%. I haven't checked ESPN's um, predictor on that yet. But the odds are pretty high that's the case. And if he goes out and does something similar to what he did right here and what he's done this whole last five games like Jared ran through the numbers, it's going to be really hard not to give him this award in my opinion. Certainly. Yeah, I mean, he's just been phenomenal. Uh, he also broke the single-season completion record. That was uh, a, a record held by Marcus Mariota up until today of 305. Uh, I don't know what pass that was, so now he he, he holds the lead and that likely isn't giving it up. Um, uh, one more quick thing on the next thing before I get into something else. Um, it's just it's, it's, it's hard for me to, like, ding the – uh, the the offense that he is in and the playmakers that he has around him. Like, yeah, there's an, an, another game with a lot of yak, a lot of yards after catch. But, you know, what what fault of that is Bo Nix's? He's throwing it to the open guy and he's and the, the open guy is running down the field. Like, it's not his fault. It's the equivalent of throwing a 30-yard pass, just, you know, 24 yards fewer in the air. So I think it's silly to begin with, but that should be, you know, a fun little discussion um as we continue going on this line um it's gonna be one it's gonna be brought up a lot we know it so yeah no to say the least uh it's going to be there um yeah i i just wanted to talk a little bit about the receivers um specifically tez johnson and and troy franklin like tez is is his last five games i mean i think this is probably goes a little hand in hand little correlation causation effect with how good Nick's has been is how good has Tez Johnson been. And Oregon has really figured out how to use him more effectively the last couple of games, you know, like coming into this, coming into, into tonight, I think his monthly average was like 128 yards a game. And tonight he finishes with 137 and he's at 805 on the year with nine receiving touchdowns. Like he's only, I guess now he's, he's only five behind Troy Franklin, which sounds crazy because Troy Franklin just broke the single season record uh, last game and broke the career record tonight with 24 or excuse me, 25 touchdown catches. But Tez is working his way up there and he, it's going to be difficult for him to finish with a thousand yards this season. Um, But he only needs 195 more. And I'm not saying that's impossible, but eh, you know, we'll see how it goes. It's probably not likely, but even still, he has really flourished in the last month, as has Nick's. And then Franklin is still just doing his thing. 
you know, nine catches for 128 yards. Almost feels like a little overshadowed because it was only one one deep ball, one, the, the 41-yarder before half. And obviously that was an incredible play, but he was still just dominant out there today. And uh, I just thought the offense is, again, firing on all cylinders. I think there were moments where they could have scored more in the second half, but, you know, it's always good to get Ross James some reps and see what he has left in the tank as one of the better punters in the country. Uh, at least statistically, uh, doesn't qualify because he doesn't punt enough, which, you know, sorry, Ross, but they just score the ball too damn much. That's not your fault. Um, yeah, I mean, just overall, I thought this was a, a very complete game, very, very, very similar to what Oregon did at Utah. And the, the in terms of stopping the rush, playing really great defense, uh, getting out to a good start, and just dominating the other team to the point where the second half is just – useless can i can i read a, i just did uh what jared did with tez johnson's four game log here mm-hmm. last four games and i did this on my on my little stat sheet here i'll show you i did my work i'll show you my work uh Real math nice proud of you yep i had to write it out couldn't do it on my head um too many games too many numbers uh, mm-hmm. I, I came to 36 receptions this is four games 36 receptions 523 yards and five touchdowns in four games I mean, he, he was averaging 100 yards a game coming into this the last six. I mean, so, it's just ridiculous. I mean, this is a, as good of a stretch, by the way, as any Troy Franklin has had this year. Troy's just been extremely consistent. But, yeah. Um, and I actually had 15 catches in the first four games. Uh, yeah. One thing 15. I was going to say, I, I think, Jared, though, after tonight, I think he's actually really close to 1,000, isn't he? Because you have to add yes. the one. He's, no, he's a. He was at 8.05 after the game. 9.42 per the official oh. stats by Oregon. I think the 8.05 was before tonight's game. <laughs> it's 9.40. I'm literally looking at the stats that Nate sent out. 9.42. I think, I think he's going to get it. Oh, and okay. and I think Jared uh, – or sorry, Matt and brought my apologies this up weeks ago. For, for that. Um, I believe this will be the second duo in school history to go for 1,000. Can you guys guess how many Oops. catches – so Troy Frank – Troy Franklin has 77 catches on the year. How close is Tez to Troy Franklin? He's got to have like 60 now, right? 70? I just 70. looked because I, I just had it pulled up. But what, you He has to 70 add. catches. In a matter mm. of four weeks, he's gone from like, oh, wow, like he's probably going to be like a 50 or a 45-yard reception or 40, 40, 40 reception guy to maybe 800 yards to he's going to be over 80 and probably over 1,100 yards. There's a chance that Troy and Tez have, like, two of the best four receiving seasons in school history together this year. I I was, like, a month ago, I said, like, Tez could have a chance to break what was the the single-season record for receiving yards. Yeah. But Troy was going to break it, so he wouldn't get the actual acknowledgement. And then I think – Last, I think it was uh, Zach Neal during the game brought up another question. Like, what if Oregon finds a, a, a solid quarterback or Ty Thompson is the dude next year? And next year, mm-hmm. could Tez break Troy's <laughs> career reception, touchdown reception number? I mean, he's got nine yeah. touchdowns. The number's 25. Right. That's like, I mean, it's. If he gets to 12 this year, he could. Yeah. 
in two years. That's just having an unbelievable year, and it's going to get completely overshadowed by what Troy is doing, which, like, I, I get it. Troy is the better receiver. Troy is really good. But Tez is above and beyond anything I expected he would be at Oregon. Like, I knew – it felt like he would be an impact player. I I certainly felt Chris Hudson would still play, and he's just completely eliminated Chris Hudson from the, from the lineup and has – not only become like a reliable starter, but is producing one of the best years in ever, ever at the position. One last thought here, and I, get, we, I should say, let's. You said they hope he's going to be overshadowed by Troy. Let's let's make it so he doesn't by bringing up how great he is frequently, because I think he's really good. And some of that acrobatic catches tonight, yeah, the yeah. juke moves that he had. Oh, the juke moves on that one were, yeah. Um, my last thought is, like, it's going to be really interesting to see what the all-conference teams look like at receiver now. Mm-hmm. Um, Tro- Troy's a lock to be on the first team, I have to think. I mean, statistically, he's having as good a season as anyone in the country. Obviously, Roma Dunze is up there. Um, there are a lot of really good receivers. But if Tez Johnson finishes with, like, I don't know, 1,100 yards and 11 touchdowns, like, that's going to be hard to not at least have him on the second team. And this is a conference that has a lot of guys. So, Mm-hmm. Yeah, Oregon has two of the better receivers. I mean, I remember the narrative we had, and I think it's still true. I think Washington has better depth overall at receiver. But that conversation about how it was like they had three guys, Oregon's just got Troy. Like, no, like, like, Tez is like on par, at least in terms of a college player, because obviously he's very undersized and he's not Jalen McMillan or Jalen Polk physically. But mm-hmm. he's a heck of a number two. He's productive. Yeah. Yes. No, 100%. And uh, it's – yeah, I mean, like 12, 7, 6 catches, you know, all, all the numbers that we went through in the last couple of weeks. It's been incredible, and he was, again, really great tonight. I, I just wish he got into the end zone twice because then my prediction would have came true. But um, it's it's kind of what I thought would happen, but Troy still got his, and he's still 8, which is, again, not to diminish anything that Tez is doing. It's just like Bo now has these two – you know, like on paper in the last couple of weeks, like unstoppable weapons. And I think that's, again, why this offense has seemingly turned a corner, even though they played so well all season long, that they're like this pass-heavy, pass-friendly, pass-happy team in the last couple of weeks. And Bonex is just racking up the stats. And But it doesn't feel – it doesn't feel like stat patty at all. It doesn't feel like they're forcing anything. It's just these guys are always open. At least one of them is always open. And Tez obviously does really well in the middle of the field while Troy is more like the sideline deep threat guy, but it all works. And then you'll have the occasional Gary Bryant, like this offense, Will Stein has just done an, an incredible job with. And if you're Oregon, you're, you know, praying, you're praying to a lot of people that he does not leave this off season because he's, uh, he's worked wonders. And for as really well thought out as Kenny Dillingham's offense was last season, like, with the improvement of Bo Nix over the offseason and the addition of Tez Johnson, um, you know, it would have been fun to see Kenny Dillingham with these types of weapons as well. But um, this has just been a lot of fun, and it's just humming on all levels right now. Oregon is the only team in the country to score 30 or more points in every single game this year. Uh, that was Nate Kruger of Oregon's SID tweeted that out today. Um, and it's just not surprising. I mean, it's it's almost like – you're a little bit surprised that they haven't scored like almost, you know, 40 in every single game because of how easy it can be for them. Like 
and and they can win in a variety of ways. And that's the most important part is like they can win 31 to seven and absolutely put on a defensive clinic against Oregon state or against Utah. And then against Cal, they can put up 60 points against a power five team and not even break a sweat. So uh, another just really impressive win. This is the fourth time in program history the Ducks have won 11 games or more in the regular season. Um, I told Eric this stat when we were leaving the press box. The only other times that they've done that, 2010, they made the the national championship game because they went undefeated 12-0. 2014, they made the national championship that year. And then 2012, which you could argue is maybe the best year ever, or the most talented team Oregon's ever had. Um, They just lost once to Stanford and won a BCS game. This season now officially, in my opinion, I think Eric would probably agree. Jared, you can give your opinion because we we talked about this previously, but off air at least. But this year has now officially crossed that threshold of it's a good year to now a special season. Like we're seeing it individually with Bo Nix in the Heisman race. And now collectively as a team, they are in that, that spot where it's a rarefied air. Few teams have gotten to this level and um, it's, it's officially now a a very special season for Oregon football. And it's still on the table that this could be the best season the program has ever had. That's not out of reach, right? They win this game next week at, against Washington. There's a chance that Oregon has a second Heisman Trophy winner. And there's a chance that something special happens if they do beat Washington and they get involved in this uh, college football playoff. So, yeah, no, I don't think there's any question. Through 12 games, though, as Matt ran through, this is a special start to a season. And actually what a fun exercise might be, and maybe something I look at doing this weekend is kind of comparing and contrasting some of the the, the figures offensively or defensively, like which offense was better, which defense was better amongst those kind of four banner seasons that Matt just ran through the, the 09, the, the 12 and the 14 season and just compare and see where 23 stacks up. Because my guess is that this year is probably going to be surprising to folks to see just offensively where this is at and off my best off my memory. I got to think statistically, this is a better defense than probably all of those teams. I don't know. I'd have to go back Probably, and look yeah. through it. So, yeah, I agree. This is a win here. Really kind of sets them up here to, for this year to be looked at as something really special. And, again, that's what makes Friday's game next week so much fun is that if they can get revenge for a second straight week against a team that's kind of gotten there, had their number a couple times, there's a lot on the table. There's a lot on the table left here, and uh, I think Oregon fans should feel really, really good. We'll see what tomorrow, or I guess later today brings. It's now after midnight here in Eugene regarding what Washington and Washington State do and how that game plays out and kind of what indications that give for where the Huskies are at. But I'm anticipating Oregon's going to open as a four, five, six-point favorite on a neutral against Washington. I don't know. Maybe it will be, maybe it'll be more, maybe it will be less, but I got to think it's in that like four- to six-point range because – Ever since this game in Seattle, Washington hasn't lost a game. They've won all their games, and that's really commendable, a really resilient ball club. Oregon mm-hmm. really, really hasn't been tested. The game that was probably closest to being tested was USC, and that was a three-score game 
midway through the fourth quarter before Caleb Williams and USC made some outrageous plays to put a little bit of a lipstick on that pig and make it look a little closer than it was. Because that game, I don't think, was ever truly in doubt, even though there were a couple of moments at the end there where you're going like, oh, boy, is this going to be more interesting than it should? So mm-hmm. special, special run here, especially after Seattle. Yeah, I I won't put any like title on it yet because there's still opportunities to achieve more. And I certainly think it's uh, – I, I mean, at least in my uh, time paying attention to Oregon, uh, the most talented top-to-bottom team that they've had. Um, and I think it's kind of impressive to think that, you know, after another offseason of Dan and getting players that he wants, like, you know, not that they could be better, but they could they could replicate this. This is a replicable system that Dan Dan Lanning and and then his Will Will Stein and Tosh Lupoy have implemented here. Um, but I won't put the title on if they're the best team in program history or anything like that, because they still have to. This is going to sound like message boardy. They still have to win something. They still have to win a Pac-12 championship. Um, all those other teams that we listed did. Uh, they all went to the playoffs or to the national championship. Like yep. this is fundamentally and statistically, it's going to look like one of the best teams in program history. And, you know, for the real fans, they'll go back and in 10 years, they'll remember this team, regardless of what they do for how good of a regular season and season it is so far. But uh, still got to win Friday in Washington if they want their names on that plaque. And after that, um, they could they could have their own plaque, but in order for them to be on that same page, they have to win on Friday, and it's going to be a hell of a game. And I, I can't wait. I wish I could, I was going, but uh, you know budget. And uh, but I'm excited. It's going to be great. And Oregon will certainly have the opportunity to put their name on that plaque as one of the best teams that ever ever suited up in Eugene and played under the Hudson Stadium lights. But Friday is where it matters. Yeah, Jared's right. If Oregon goes out, I don't want to end it on a doom and gloom, but if Oregon loses no, that no. Friday game, like they're they're gonna get they're gonna get talked a lot about, and because they are they are playing like the best one. I'm not gonna say the best, but one of the best teams in college football and a, a clear playoff team. But if they don't win on Friday, doesn't uh, matter. It doesn't matter. Yeah. And That's college football. It's a failure of a season. You lost to Washington twice. And I don't know if failures. failures it's tough. We right talked about to that on the mailbag on yeah. Monday. Yeah. Like yeah. it's hard to be a failure of a season to go uh, theoretically in the situation eleven and two. Um, yes. Like that's still a pretty good season by my means. But again, the plaque, the yes. plaque. Yeah. You, Jared, put it perfectly. Got to win. Go ahead, Eric. I got two things before we wrap. Um, I wanted to update listeners on Gary Bryant in case they didn't see it. Dan sure. seemed actually more optimistic than I was anticipating on that. Gary, it sounded like told Dan he was going to be okay. And obviously listeners watched the game, but kind of looked like it could have been something serious there, the way he was rolled over and, and how little um, pressure, I guess he was able to put on his, on his lower left side of the body there. It looked like it could have been something serious, but Dan kind of gave good news there. Um, kind of less good news, by the way, on Julio Florence, at least. Um, Jared, do you want to kind of tell listeners what you saw from up in the press box? Because I know we ID'd him sometime in the first half, and it didn't seem fantastic. And Dan's comments were a little bit like, don't expect him back for a bit. Yeah, um, we did not positively ID 
Jaleel Florence beforehand during pregame warmups. Uh, he did not join the team before like real pregame warmups, like 15, 20 minutes before the game. Uh, and then about like, I don't know, probably midway through the first quarter, I saw him on the bench in street clothes and with crutches. Um, kind of, um, not that I expected to see it, but I'd heard something where it might have been a lower leg injury. Um, keeping him out of this week, uh, that seemed to kind of confirm that it was a lower leg injury uh, with the crutches. Um, didn't see him after the game. Uh, he was just on the sideline the whole time. But uh, certainly not encouraging news. Uh, even though there was no news, Dan was asked, and he just said, "You know, time will tell." It's like, yeah, no, you're you're not wrong. In six in, in six months, we'll know if he's better or not. But uh, <laughs> there's a week. Uh, I'd be very, very surprised if he were to play next week, considering he is on crutches as of today. So he's got a week to, I don't know, go to Germany and get some stem cell treatment. Like <laughs> Kobe Bryant style, baby. Right, right. Kobe Bryant style. All right. It's going to do it for us from a post-game edition. Uh, celebrate, Duck fans. They beat Oregon State. But uh, as Dan Lanning put it, they've still got work to do. They still have unfinished business, as he said. Washington waits for them in Vegas Friday night from Allegiant Stadium. Uh, Eric and I will be there to cover it. Jared will be uh, with us in spirit. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> the- <laughs> I just gave myself a hand. Huh. Did you do that on purpose? What happened there? Let's try it again. <laughs> there we I go. Was- oh. Nice, 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 nice. What does thumbs up do? I don't know. Now we're having fun for all you no, this is, listeners this is, out there. It's twelve thirty, and we're delirious. But that was that was perfect stuff right there. Man. That was cool. Uh, yeah, you'll have to watch the YouTube if you're confused about what's going on. Uh, so that's gonna do it for us here on the Odds and Audibles podcast. Uh, until Monday, we'll have a mailbag with a special week. 13th game of the season as Oregon heads to Vegas to take on the Washington Huskies for a spot in the college football playoff, potentially, as well as representing the Pac-12 as its champion in its final season. But until then, you've been listening to the Yachts and Audibles podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Peace.